Hey, let's um, let's jump in this morning. Um, just as a reminder, number one, this, the small groups we're asking you to sign up for. You know, we've we 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 don't run small groups all year round, and partly because we don't want you to get burned out. But our desire is that from the groups that we start, we'd love for you to be building relationships, and that's the idea. Because the idea we've said for our small groups is that the theme is all in. We believe that God is, has this journey that we're on and leading us to a life that's, quote-unquote, greater than we're living today, right? This real life, this life in Christ that's great, it's massive, it's huge, it's beautiful, it's something that only God could do. And we believe that to do that, a couple things have to happen. Number one, you, you have to be all in. You have to be all in. Like, you, you know how it is. You can't do anything half-hearted and do it well, right? There has to be a, an all-in component to your life, heart mind and soul behind it, giving your full self. You have to be all in. But I recognize, too, and I don't know about you, but trying to be all in by myself is honestly impossible. Being all in just by myself is impossible. And so we believe that we have to be in the context of, of other people, relationships, living in community, doing life together if we're going to be successful. And so we've created these all-in, we call them 242 groups, because we're just going to do what Acts 242 talks about. We're going to eat together, we're going to fellowship together, we're going to pray together, and we're going to study the Bible together. And so I'm going to invite you, if you have not signed up to do that, because we believe this, to, for us to, this is what our gift to vintage, right? Our gift to you, we believe God's saying, do these, and in doing so, it will propel people into their real life. And so if you have not signed up, I encourage you to do that. I invite you to pray into it. If you're already part of a small group and you're doing your own stuff, that's awesome. I would encourage you, though, pray about adding the component of our real-life groups into your time. It's just some simple questions that we're asking along the way that we believe God wants to, you to answer to lead you to your real life. So with that said, you pray, ask God what he'd have you do, and, uh, and that would be good. All right, let's dive in this morning. Last week we talked... We talked about the nature of family. I told you that a couple weeks ago I was, in, in, I was woke up one morning. I said, Jesus, I love you this morning. Thank you for giving me life today. What do you have for me today? And in the moment, this doesn't happen all the time, but it happened in the moment. It was kind of one of those, like, God just spoke into the moment, and I went, whoa, like that. It was kind of like, it wasn't really like that, but I, it was kind of like that. Where I was literally, whoa, I stopped what I was doing. I stopped walking, and I just stood there for a second and go, Family. Like, God, you have, and God began to download and download and download this reality of family, what that means, why it's important, what it means for vintage, what it means for you, why it's so imperative that, that this nature of, of family. So last week we talked about family. We talked about the idea that, that God is our father, that God is our father, right, and that, that he is a perfect, loving father. And I think it's really important, right? Because we talk all the time about God, we talk about being Lord, and that's true. We talk about him being sovereign or being all-powerful, and that's true. And so, but when we talk about Lord so often, our language, our language has in mind, like, the movies that we've seen. These really ruthless Lord-slash-kings who are always disappointing, they're always backstabbing, they're always stealing, whatever it may be. And so when we think of Lord and Lordship then in our lives, a lot of times we have in mind this distant, far off uh, sovereign being who who really is not very nice. He's judgmental and wanting a lot of stuff from us. And so I believe what we have to recognize and, that, and there's a part of that this good in recognizing God is Lord and we have respect and honor him. 
But you have to also recognize that 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 he's also a loving Lord in that he would say, I'm a loving Lord and a loving father. Both at the same time, they are married together. Therefore, when I look at my relationship with God, it's not a transactional relationship then where I'm trying to prove myself, where I'm trying to work hard for him, where I'm trying to do the things that he wants me to do so he pleases him, so I can get from him what I need from him, right? That only if I do the right thing is he going to be happy and bless me, right? And that instead, I'm coming to this relationship with the Father who is perfect in his love for me, and in the perfection of his love for me, loves me wholly and completely and perfect and fully and overwhelmingly in a positive way. And so I said last week that we have a hard time living dependent in our relationship with Jesus because we don't really know him in this way. And we said it's, it's, it's impossible to live conf, have confidence in and trust someone and have faith in them if we just don't know them. And so I encouraged you this past week, because you have a loving father, to spend time with him, to, to get to know him, to have real-life conversations with him, right? Of sharing with him and listening and talking and engaging him. Because in the context then of, of that type of relationship, of him revealing himself to us, all of a sudden he undergirds us. That's just one of those words you don't ever use in a real, on a daily basis. But he undergirds us. He becomes a foundation that we can stand on in every moment, in every situation, come hell or high water. And so the word of God for us in this season right now of being all in, of, of, of running this race that before us, and I said this last week, hear this, and I say this with, with fear and trembling, you nor I, neither of us, can reach our real life unless we have cultivated this type of confident relationship of love with a loving Lord, who's our loving Father. And we have to be all in in that relationship with our time, with our energy, with all that we're doing. Like I literally, this, is, this is, may sound silly to a lot of you. Some of you are like, I get it. So when Georgia football starts, I love Georgia football. I grew up with it. My dad and I, we went to, listen, in 1980, we went to every single home game. I mean, perfect year to go to every game, wasn't it? Herschel Walker, come on the scene. He's almost as good as Todd Gurley. Can I get an amen? Now, I literally, before the season started, last week I had to go to God and say, God, you know how easily this can become an idol in my life. And I'm at a season of my life where you are my priority and nothing can get in the way of it. Jesus, I take Georgia football and all my energies with it and I submit it to you because nothing can get in the way. Now, it doesn't mean I can't watch Georgia football and I have to push it away and pretend like it doesn't exist. No, but it means it has to be a distant, distant fifth or sixth of importance in my daily mindset of my daily life. And so in this place, I have a responsibility with my time and my investment and my thoughts of God submitting everything to you because your relationship is so important.
in the context then of that relationship, because he is our father, it means this. And this is the conversation for this morning. If he is our father, then that means that we are brothers and sisters. We represent the family of God, right? God as father, we are his children. Therefore, we are his family. So Tim Parker and I are brothers in Christ spiritually. And the spirit, listen, the spiritual bond of the Holy Spirit is actually more powerful and more eternal in nature than the blood relationship that I have with my own kids. That we have this incredible call to one another, to serve one another, to love one another. We have this call from God to be in family together. I said last week, a football team without an offensive line is going gonna, is gonna to struggle. Why? Because, because the, the team is dependent on the offensive line. They each have a role to play. Without a quarterback, the team is going to, to struggle. They won't have success. The team is not, they're dependent upon one another. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, listen, that yes, we are dependent upon the Father, but hear this, we are also dependent upon one another for our spiritual and kingdom success in this life. 1 Corinthians 12 says, and we are the body of Christ. And we, there's, there are many, there, listen, there are many, listen, there's one body, but many parts, and you all represent that part. Some of us are the, are the head, some of us are the finger, some of us are the foot, whatever it is, right? And I would say this, in the body then, the body is dependent, our phys, my physical body is dependent upon all of its parts working together to function properly. I am, my, my foot is dependent upon my eyes to live and to be successful in walking. My ears are dependent upon my brain functioning to be successful in life and in relationship with you. My, my body is dependent upon all its parts. One part's dependent upon the other. And so when we talk then about being a team on Team Jesus, we talk about being the body of Christ, and each of us having our parts and, and fulfilling our role in the body of Christ, I want you to recognize this morning as we talk about the body and what we're, our responsibility of, of being in family, it's this, hear this, Jesus in me is not enough. Jesus in me is not enough. Why do you think God, in perfect union with Adam, said in in Genesis 2, it is not good for man to be alone? We cannot just be Jesus and me. Jesus didn't even send out the disciples one by one. He says, and go out by twos. Because you have a responsibility in the context of family with brothers and sisters to encourage and to challenge. You know, listen, that one of the greatest, one of the greatest detriments to the church of today is the idea of my family. And when I say my family, those of you who know me think Randall and myself and a Catherine and Sarah. That's the greatest danger to the body of Christ in 2014. That you think, that we think that our family is just this, this, this close-knit part of, that we're a part of. Family in Scripture, in, Ju- in, in Judaism, the Jewish culture, was they were a covenant people. One 
family together. Yes, there were, there were other smaller families in the context of that, but they were one big family responsible for one another. And so I am dependent upon my relationship with God. I'm dependent upon God. But I want you to hear me say this morning unashamedly, unashamedly, that we are to be dependent upon one another. That we are dependent in relationship with one another. We are part of a family and we need that family. And that family needs us. That's the big part. You know, one of the great tragedies in church is people come, they get frustrated because they don't, because someone from church didn't give them what they wanted and what they needed. They have this one-sided understanding of what church is supposed to be. They say, well, the church didn't meet my needs. Well, how did you meet the church's needs? Because there is always a dualistic nature of relationship in family. There is, I receive, and more importantly, I give. The context of family, we have a responsibility. We are dependent upon one another, and you should be dependent upon me, and vice versa. And I live my life then not just thinking what I'm supposed to receive and what I can get and making church all about me, but I make it all about what do I give you? How do I bless you? How do I give my life away to you? What if Jesus had come and said, oh, you're not giving me what I want, so I'm not going to die for you. Well, that would have been lame. I mean, wouldn't it? That would been awful. Oh, I didn't give me what I wanted, so I'm not going to be in friendship with you. Seriously? How selfish are we that we pull away from people because we don't get what we want? And Paul comes in, in, excuse me, Jesus comes in here in Matthew 18. You can turn in your Bibles there. We're going to look at this morning. Jesus comes and names our responsibility that we have with one another. Because, listen, I can't even dive into what real life conversations look like within the family of God. Until we have first built a foundation that we recognize, listen, Jesus' expectation of us. Listen, look at me. Jesus has expectations of you, of what your responsibility is and how you relate to me and how you serve me. Not because I'm pastor, because I am family with you. God has expectations of responsibilities of how I care for and love you. And Matthew 18 is a picture of this. I'm going to read the whole thing this morning. I want to build a foundation because before we can talk about relating to one another, I think God needs to destroy some faulty foundations for us and raise up new ones. And so we're going to read, listen, I'm going to read a lot this morning. The first 20 verses of Matthew 18 says this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them, an object lesson. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change, I love that, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child, that person is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. 
And he goes on. If anyone, ca- if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot cause you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Just press, press pause. Jesus does not love mutilation. Don't worry. He's making an extreme example, saying this is how severely you deal with sin in your life. Not literally saying do that, but you treat it so. This is, this is how severe it is, the things that cause you to stumble. Verse 10, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that there are angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to the look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than the ninety-nine did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not not willing that any of these little ones should perish. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. They listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's according to Deuteronomy. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth, bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I truly tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Responsibilities. I want you to recognize very clearly and hear this. This whole, all these verses, Jesus is speaking one important truth in different ways. Your responsibility to family. The first responsibility is this responsibility of child likeness. In verse one, responsibility of child likeness. In verse one, the disciples ask, Who then is the greatest? Who then is the greatest? Now, look at the disciples. It's really easy to name the issues that define their relationship with one another rivalry, competition, egoism, hierarchy. Uh, They're creating a pecking order of who's the greatest, who has authority, who's leading, who's the best, who's the strongest, right? This whole hierarchy of egoism and individualism going on. They care more about themselves than they do the team. They're more aware about what they're not getting than about the needs of the team. They're looking and saying, they're having this hierarchy. You see it again and again and again in the New Testament. Who's the greatest? I'm the greatest. I'm the best. He loves me more, right? This whole tension, literally at the Lord's Supper, he's just celebrated Passover feast. He's just instituted the, the Lord's Supper. And they begin to argue among themselves about who is the greatest. It's crazy. And Jesus comes into the moment. Listen, there's a whole paradigm. There's a whole lifestyle, a whole culture that they understand. And Jesus comes in the moment and he flips it upside down. Do you know what else that happens in Scripture? In Revelation. It says, behold, the Lion of Judah. And John's expecting this massive lion, Jesus, to come out. And a little bitty lamb walks onto the scene. A slain lamb. He does a paradigm shift. 
to understand power, to understand influence, to understand authority. And Jesus is doing the exact same upside down shift right here. He says, you listen, if you want to be the greatest, verse three and four, truly, I tell you, you must change. You must become like a child. You must take the lowly position of this child. You cannot be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven apart from doing this. He's coming and he's shifting their, listen, their view of selfishness. Listen, these disciples be just like you and me. I don't have time to love them. I don't have time to give my life away. I don't have the energy, the resources. I need those for myself. Don't you know what's going on in my life? Don't you see how hard my life is? Don't you see what I'm facing in my life? Don't you see all these things about me, 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 and me? You talk, listen, you go on Facebook and Instagram, and you spend more time talking about yourself, taking selfies, making your whole life revolve around you. Mother Teresa was the most influential woman who ever lived. She lived in a place where she went in with no hot water. She lived her life completely subservient to those that she was giving her life away to. She said, I was not called to the poor. I was called to Jesus, and I followed him there. And she gave her life there. Living not for self. And Jesus is coming and saying, you must become like a child. What, what is a child? The children, listen, children in their eyes, in their culture, were the picture of powerlessness. They represented the lowest strata in their culture and society. They had no voice. They had no rights. They had no influence. They had no opportunity to become anything greater than they were or to receive anything greater than what they had. Instead, they were completely dependent on family. They were completely dependent upon outside sources. They were completely dependent on someone else moving in their life for them. They were solely dependent upon God and dependent upon family. And Jesus is looking at his disciples and saying, if you want to be great, you're going to have to become dependent on the very ones that you are competing with and have rivalry with. The very ones that you get offended by because you don't get what you want in the midst of this time. He's saying you have a responsibility of childlikeness. We are called in the context of family to a childlikeness representing a death to, to egoism, a death to rivalry, a death to competition, right? And a life fully dependent upon Jesus and fully dependent upon family, placing others before ourselves. That's number two, responsibility of welcoming. A responsibility of welcoming. Verse 5, it says it. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. I want you to get the picture and understand this. All the way through Matthew 18, little ones and children represent verse 6, Anyone who believes in me, it says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble. He's talking about the little ones or the children in this story are not literal children. They are all of us who believe in Jesus. Throughout the scripture here, Matthew 18, anytime child or little one or children is used, he's speaking about those who are followers of Jesus. So he says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. 
Do you see this picture of hospitality, this picture of, of being of serving one another? Listen, listen, if you come to my house at one o'clock in the morning as my family and you knock on my door and I'm going to come to the door in my boxers to let you know that I was sleeping when you got there. I'm going to and I'm going to walk to the door going oh like this. I walk the wrong. Make sure you see me my eyes like this. I want you to know I was sleeping. You woke me up. I'm not happy. And you open the door and say, Steve, I need help. In that moment, the call of God and the welcoming is to die to my tiredness, to die to my time, to die to my stuff, to die to what I want, and say, you are most welcome in God's house. This is your house because we're brothers and sisters. You are welcome in. So the idea of this welcoming is that we view one another as, as family. We have a responsibility in the context of family. We love one another. We prefer one another. We live in this context of, of welcoming, of humbling ourselves. That's why we say at Vintage, we don't have any visitors at Vintage because visitors aren't planned for. We have, we have guests because you plan for guests to come. We live our life in the context as Christian brothers and sisters are saying, I view you as a guest in my home at all times, in my life, right? It's, all, it's, it's not about me. You need, I need you, and you need me, and I welcome you in your brokenness. I welcome you in your difficulties. I welcome you in your struggles, and I love you. And Jesus goes on and says, you have a responsibility of welcoming, but you have to be careful because he's, he's speaking to his disciples to say, because there are lots of things that cause you to stumble. The first thing we see that causes us to stumble is verse 6 is anyone. It says, if anyone causes these people to stumble. So anyone, all of us, saved, unsaved, male, female, whatever it may be, right? We all can cause someone to stumble. To stumble. If we go, go in verse 7. It says, the world. The world can cause us to stumble. So there are lots of things in the world, lots of things in the world that we embrace. Georgia football is in the world. It can cause me to stumble. I have to be aware of these things in my life. I have to be aware. We have to be aware that those things can come through us. They can come through us. I was talking to a buddy of mine yesterday, and he was talking about this, uh, he was, where he works, and he said, there's a friend of mine, a, a co-worker on, on an evil playing field with me. Like, literally, like, yet last week, he just read me the riot act and cut my feet out from underneath me and punched me while I was down from the things that he was saying. Man, like he was like he said, I was he said, I was wrestling with insecurity and fears. Like oh, I was so, like anyone, brothers and sisters, caused us to stumble. That's what we get at the, in the third one. It says in in verse eight, nine, eight, eight and nine. It says, and if if your foot causes you to stumble or your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Listen, that could be the body of Christ or our own selves can cause us to stumble. I cause myself to stumble all day. How I give in, the things that I look at, the things that I do, whatever it may be. He's saying, listen, if you have a responsibility of welcoming, you have to be careful. You have to be careful. Jesus is showing them, showing them specifically that, that, that their sin, primarily pride and egoism in their context of their story, will actually other, cause others to stumble unless it is dealt with in their lives. You've been around someone who's competitive and you find that being raised up inside of you in an unhealthy way? That's what's happening right here. They're competitive with one another. To welcome, listen, to welcome is to prefer another, 
and recognize, listen, to prefer, to welcome is to prefer another, to recognize my responsibility to lay down my own pride, my own egoism, my own desires, my own personal individual longings for the need of others. I deserve this. What? No, we lay this stuff down on behalf of those who God is raising up, those who are family with us. The third responsibility is of fighting for family. Jesus, get, Jesus comes and gives this great story in verse uh, 12 through 14 of God describing God the Father. He says, what do you think? Verse 12. What do you think? The man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away. Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep, uh, the one, uh, about that one sheep, but the 99 did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Now, when we read that, that, that scripture, most of the time we put it in context of those who are not Christians, those who are not yet Christians, those who are outside of the family of God completely. But that's not the context of what these scriptures are talking about. The context of these verses is the context of being in family. Out of a hundred family members, one is straying away and stumbling in their sin and falling away. And someone says, I must leave the 99 and go save that one, right? I'm fighting for them. This is what it says. This is what the Father does. The Father loves each of us. The same, but he gives the best of himself for those who are far off. Why? Because he does not want them to fall away for good. He's saying he leaves 99 in the family to save the one in the family who was who was stumbling. And have you ever seen like in like the, the, the Bible picture books and stuff? I, this is the picture. Whenever I read this, I always think I would see like mountaintops, Right. I always see, they always have a picture of mountaintops, and this little sheep is about to, for some reason, just jump off the cliff. I have no idea why it's about to happen. Like, he's like, whoa, going to grab him as he, before he takes the leap of death off the cliff, right? And so the idea for us and the, the responsibility of fighting for a family is what? It's not easy, is it? The picture of rescuing, of going after one, is that we have to sacrifice ourselves. We have to wake up at 1 o'clock in the morning. We have to, to, go, we have to go and to work hard on behalf of this person. We have to, to find them and love them through difficult moments. The idea of fighting for a family is this picture of, of, of difficulty, of humbling ourselves, right? It's being tiresome, being overwhelming. I mean, Jesus, he, he shows an example. He died on a cross. He went the extra mile so we would not fall away. The picture I want you to see is this. Verses 15 through 17 is Jesus' practical example of the story he's telling in verses 12 through 14. He tells the story, right? He tells the story, you know, leave 99 to go save the one. And this is what it looks like. You leave. Person's in sin. They're struggling. They're in sin. You go to them. One-on-one, and you try to win them back. If you win them back, awesome. If you don't, and they still remain in their sin, then take two or maybe three of you, right, and go to that person to correct them, to bring them out. If they still do not turn away from their sin, then bring the whole church before them. Not because we're trying to, like, pass judgment, but because we love the sin. That happens a lot of times in churches. They bring you forward to somebody to, like, for judgment. Instead, it's because they love you. That's the picture here. 
We love them too much to leave them on the cliff, getting ready to jump off. We have to save them. And then Jesus says, if they still don't turn, and you treat them like pagans and tax collectors. What does that mean? That sounds kind of mean. It means you say, God, I've done my part. Only you can save them now. I've put them into your hands. If the sheep jumps, I can't catch them. Only you can. But there's a great responsibility of fighting for our family. And then the the fourth one is the responsibility of being together. A responsibility of, of being together. Verse 20 sums up the call to live as family when it says, Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Don't miss this in the context. He's saying, listen, where you gather not to compete and have rivalry with one another, but as you come together to live humbly, to fight for one another, to serve one another as children with no rights, but always recognize you're here in humility and servanthood and giving your life away. As you do this, right, you're being together. Jesus says something powerful happens. It's the idea, it says, you see the three things that happen. You see the binding, whatever's bound in heaven, whatever's bound on earth, we bound in heaven, whatever's loosed on earth, be loosed in heaven, right? Where two agree on earth, God will do it. And then where, where you gather together in the name of Jesus, he is there with you. And the picture is, is this. There's all those sorts of things you can make in theology-wise about binding and loosing. But to be honest with you, no one really knows what that means. But the one clear thing we can take from this is, is this, and looking into verses, the context of the story is clear. The power of brothers and sisters working together in family far exceeds the work they can do individually. The work that we can do together far exceeds the work that we can do individually. This is the picture. This is the picture of Jesus. The picture he's making for us. The work you do together exceeds the work you do by yourself. Jesus in me is not enough. You are part of the body of Christ. You are dependent upon Jesus. You are dependent upon one another. Because as children, you have nothing in your own strength of value except what has been given to you from the outside. That's the picture, right? The children have no opportunity to become anything greater than they are apart from the outside influence of someone moving on their behalf. They have no opportunity to increase apart from the outside influence moving on their behalf. You know what we call that word? Grace. Jesus is basically coming in the moment saying, listen, guys, as children, you have nothing of greatness and of power in your own strength. All you have is egoism rivalry, competition, ultimately leading to death. But I'm telling you, there's a paradigm shift that needs to happen of recognizing that you, I am, God is your father. You are brothers and sisters. You are children together. And you are all about the responsibility of childlikeness, of welcoming, of fighting for family, and being together. Knowing that, that as you are together, I will do something powerful and whatever is bound in heaven, earth, bound in, bound in heaven, loosed on earth, loosed in heaven. Whatever you pray for together, it'll be done because where you are together, there I am in your midst. If you live in a place of individualism and competition and in rivalry and egoism, it ain't good. And so the question we have to ask ourselves this morning in the context of all of this is this week, how did you do? 
at preferring others, loving others, living without rivalry and competition, being very good at receiving guests and giving the best of yourself to people, the best of your energies, your time, your money, your resources, giving them away to those that are in need. How did you do at these responsibilities? If you're like me, you probably did not do all that well. Because by nature, we are told by every ad that we watch on television, every television show, that it's about me, me, and me, and my personal rights, my personal resources, my personal relationship with Jesus Christ, everything personal and all about me. And I believe Jesus is saying very clearly in this journey toward our real life, no, we have to live dependent upon Father and dependent in servanthood and grace with one another. So before we start having real-life conversations with one another of honesty and transparency, we have to begin by saying, how well are we doing at loving others as I love myself? How well am I doing in the responsibilities that God's given in Matthew 18? Jesus wrecked their lives, and it changed them forever. How are we doing? Let's pray. Father, we recognize Jesus, even how I've communicated this. This is a this is a weighty word. Because God by nature, you know how great we are at focusing on self at all times. The world our worlds always revolve around us. But Jesus, you're calling us to lay down our world so that we can revolve around your world. And in revolving around your world, it's about loving the great commandment. I'm called to love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And God, we're just really good at loving self. And I pray this morning, God, as we talk about this all in together and doing life together and and challenging one another, Jesus, and these small groups that we're doing. Lord, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would convict us. I pray that you would change us. I pray that you would challenge us, God. I pray, Father, we would do a much better job of, of seeing Jesus, and then you lead us to see others. Lord, we just confess today, we will always be bad at fulfilling these responsibilities from Matthew 18, apart from your Spirit empowering us. And we submit ourselves to you today and say, Jesus, have your way. Pray this in your name. Amen.